0: And then we received a call, I think it was about 11 o'clock at night and it was the doctor and he told us to come straight in and my wife went in to be with our little boy and I went into the room with the doctor and um, he told us that he believed that our boy had contracted an illness called sepsis, a um, blood disease. They told us that we had maybe four days with him and we were being airlifted back to Sydney. So we got on the plane and we flew back and I remember just praying out aloud on the plane, just saying, hey, you can take my house, take my car, take everything that I've ever built, anything that I own, but um, please don't take my little boy.
1: Hi there, guys. I'm really privileged and honored to bring you live from Australia, Michael Crossland. He is one of Australia's most sought-after and inspirational speakers who has fundamentally Defied the odds of a life threatening cancer to really build a life of exceptional achievements. He is a number one international best selling author and he speaks to corporations, schools, professional sporting organizations, and universities all around the world. To give you a sense of scale here, Michael has presented in, in front of over 250,000 people all around the globe just in the last 12 months alone. Uh, his journey has been shared on many TV programs, including Fox Sports, ABC, Channel 7, Nine Networks, Full Potential TV, Goalcast, The Get Spired Project. By the way, the Goldcast video now has over 60 million views um inspire me today countless radio shows all over america fiji and australia so this guy is the real deal so i'm really privileged and honored to bring you michael uh, crossland live from australia so pay attention to the part of the show where he is asked what his greatest achievement is and where his answer leads us to an incredibly personal a very emotional story that i really do think will shake you to your knees so without further ado Into Michael Crossland. Michael Crossland, what a privilege to have you on the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
0: Mate, thank you, and I've got to say, every time I hear your intro, I feel like I'm ready to just run through a brick wall. I love it. I love it. So it's great to be on the show, mate. Thanks
1: for having me. Yeah, dude, what a pleasure, man. So uh, this one's been a long time in the coming. You've got such an incredible story, so I'm super excited about broadcasting this one uh, all over the internet, which is what we are doing. So if you're catching us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Uh, and you want to engage with Michael directly, now is your chance to do so. Just comment, and we will pick it up on our side. And so let's make this as interactive and as awesome and powerful uh, as possible. Uh, So, Michael, um, why don't you set this one up for us? Um, I'm going to give a little bit of context, but then you can take it from from there, really. Uh, But, you know, you are a survivor, right? You're a fighter. You have been since birth pretty much defying the odds, really, of um, surviving a rare form of life-threatening cancer. And I'd like you to to kind of get into that whole story. And you survived a horrific cancer drug trial. Um, and so, these kind of things don't happen to people <laughs> like myself. Uh, so, you know, uh, but, uh, but you, your battle continues to this day. Um, and I wanted to start by getting into your, your mother because from what I understand about your story she, she really was your rock uh, during so much of this uh, ordeal and so looking back what would you say was the greatest lesson your mother ever taught you
0: yeah thank you it has been a uh, it's been an incredible journey and I'm um, forever blessed that I was born into this world having my mom as my mom Um, I think one of the greatest lessons that she taught me through those challenging times was it's not the adversity in our life that defines us it's how we deal with it and I think that everybody listening to the show everybody on the planet we all have a story we all have pain we all have suffering but it's not the pain and suffering that is so different uh it's really our solutions and she she enabled me to stay optimistic to stay resilient to stay courageous to be able to push through and you know I I as you know, travel around the world and share my story with people and I always say that I'm, um, I'm one of the lucky ones, not because I'm still alive through that horrific trial drug but because I wasn't my mum. You know, my mum had to go to death counselling every week for two hours to deal with what was going to happen to a little boy. You know, I, all I had to do was lie in bed and feel the pain. So, um, you know, she is absolutely still to this day, very much my rock and, mm-hmm. and taught me some really, really powerful lessons. But to your question, mate, that's definitely the most important lesson she taught me was, you know, outside of having a dream and having a goal and continually stretching yourself. And, but, but I really think that it was the, you know, that it's not the adversity in your life that defines you. It's really about how you deal with
1: it. Yeah. It's how you respond, right? i to that. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, uh, you, listen, you've got incredible content out there, um, which uh, I'll feature later on in the show. But you've been featured on Goldcast probably a, more than one on more than one occasion. You've had over fifty million views of some of your videos. Um, and one of the statements which I just absolutely wanted to double down on with you today uh, is where you said uh, we were describing your mother, and she she was talking to doctors, and doctors were giving the percentages of your likelihood to survive. And what she said was, I don't want to know, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't want to know what the percentage likelihood is of my son dying. I want to know what the percentage likelihood is of him surviving. And that's a very big shift in mindset right so why is it seemingly easier for the mind to focus on the negative versus the positive in your unique experience number one and number two if you could comment on how do we train our minds to focus on what's possible for us uh, instead of say focusing on on why we are not worthy of being who we want to be
0: yeah, that's some uh, that's some really great questions. And to your point, you know, I I think that we all look at the glass often in our life being half empty as opposed to half full. And and I think that it's so important for all of us to really look at the glass being half full, not half empty. And for me, she looked at my life being four percent full, not ninety six percent empty. And that is, you know, that's such a blessing and a privilege in itself. But I think the reason why we fall into that um, victim mindset or that victim mentality is because all we need to do is turn the TV on. We just need to listen to the radio. There's so much negativity in this world that's consuming us. And I think that right now in the world we live in, we are almost forced to be in this place of fear and uncertainty yet i think that when we retrain our mindset and we retrain our brain with simple tools and techniques it can have a huge ongoing impact on our lives and to your second question i really think that the subconscious mind registers on such an incredible level and if we start to train it and we start to talk to it and communicate with it and and drive accountability around our subconscious mind it's remarkable you know that the one thing that I constantly say to people is we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. And I know that might sound a little crazy, but the more that we can talk to ourselves with positivity and reinforcement and, and uh, looking at the, at the at the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, I, I really think that in the world we live in today we must embrace the coolness of the shadows so we can truly enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. And as you know, Matt, and I'm sure everybody listening, you know, we learn far more from a loss than we ever do from a win but mm. we just need to make sure that we don't wait until it's too late before we make the choice to change mm. you know I, I love sharing the analogy or we we wait until we're diagnosed with lung cancer before we stop smoking <laughs> don't wait until it's too late
1: <laughs> that's insane right <laughs> isn't that just insane um a statement Wow, um, so I just I want to also get into this more more around the mindset, if you don't mind. I mean, in your book, um, which I have here, uh, let me just bring it up on screen for everybody. Um, I know uh, this is um, one of this is really the book about you. Uh, let me just bring it up on state on screen here. Give me one second. Here we go, guys. Um, kids don't get cancer, the remarkably inspiring story of Michael Crossland. Um, and so, Michael, just on the mindset piece, um, you know, you don't survive these kind of things without developing a mindset that's truly resilient. Um, and, you know, people talk about change, but very few actually want to change. It's like, as you said, we want, we wait till we get lung cancer before we stop smoking. I mean, it's the definition of insanity, right? In my view. So, mindset is key in many respects. And so, what have you learned about Uh, you know, cultivating a success mindset that's truly resilient during the kind of challenges such as the ones that, that you have faced. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: What have I learnt about cultivating a mindset? Mm. You know, that's uh, that's a deep question in itself. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I speak about the two different types of people in the world. There are those that use their pain and suffering as the justification behind why they fail, and there are those who use the exact same pain and suffering as the motivation to succeed. Mm. And the difference between the two is just making the choice what type of life you want to lead. If you want to lead your life as a passenger and think your life's not fair and have a pity party then you're going to attract those types of people in your life. You know, you look at the five closest people in your world and and average those five, and that is the definition of where you sit in your value. You surround yourself with people that are going to have you stretch and grow, and you're going to stretch and grow. You surround yourself with positive, optimistic, resilient people, then you're going to do exactly that as well. And I think that so easily do we get into this victim mindset. So often, you know, we blame other people. We, we make excuses. We live in denial about the situations that we're in. And what I think is so important that we understand, especially in the times that we're in now, is that it's okay to feel bad. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be fearful. It's okay to not want to get out of bed some days. But, but what's not okay is making the choice to stay there. And I know that I say it in my book, but scientifically, we become a victim more than 40 times a day. But it doesn't matter whether you become a victim 40, 50 or 150 times a day. It's about how long you choose to stay there. And Matt, the, the analogy you know, that I love using is, let's say you're, you're on this weight loss journey. Very easy analogy to understand, right? Mm. And you're, you're really healthy and you're doing really good for yourself and you're starting to lose weight and you're starting to feel positive about yourself and your mindset's starting to shift. Then you go to a party and all of a sudden you have one piece of cake and you dip below the line and you feel, you know what, why did I do that? I've worked so hard and now I've had a piece of cake. Now you think to yourself, you know what, well, I've had a piece of cake, I may as well eat the whole cake. And then you choose to stay down there. You know, it's about making the choice to, in my analogy, grab your oar, you take ownership, accountability and responsibility of your life and you steer your life in the direction you want to take it. And I know that sometimes we all, including me, I'm – probably I'm sure you would agree one of the most positive people you'll ever meet in your life and there are some days that I dip below the line and and I think the the analogy is we we, we're on a paddle boat and we've got one oar and we're paddling and we're paddling and we're paddling and we're just going around around circles so rather than working smarter and getting a peer a colleague a friend a, a counselor a coach to sit next to us we work harder and we just spiral out of control and we end up getting sucked down and living our life as a victim and Mm-hmm. I think that we just need to make the choice. We need to make the choice to stand up, grab our oar and start to steer our ship and our life in the direction we want to take it.
1: Yeah, just to echo that exact point, um, it, for me, it's about mental toughness. It's grit, you know, it's um, but also, also being empathetic with yourself and recognizing that you are human. You're not, you know, you're not bulletproof. You know, you're going to oscillate between highs and lows. And this is the normal flux of life. You know, the only one of the, the great, beautiful things about life is that it's moving all the time. It's changing all the times. Uh, all the time, rather. And so, one of the things I, I picked up on um, on your website, which I absolutely love, was around this idea of mental toughness, was that no one will tell you what you can do, they will tell you what you can't do. And if you think about, um, you know, your doctors, again, I keep talking about these guys, like <laughs> I know them, but, um, but we all have, so your doctors basically did that, right? So, over and over again, they were like, well, you know, you've only got like, whatever the single digit percentages were of, of surviving. And so, in our own personal lives as we oscillate we have this voice called the governor that's always telling us what we can't do uh, and why we should stop why we're not good enough uh, and why it's too late um, and so i have a question for you which is how do we overcome this this governor this inner narrative that we create and that we oftentimes latch onto and in the process develop the mental toughness that we need to survive the kind of things that you have survived?
0: I think, firstly, it'd be pretty, pretty important for me to bring all the listeners up to speed in regards to the doctors and mm. what they have continually told me I can't do. Please. Uh, you know, I was diagnosed, as you said, incurable cancer of the central nervous system as an 11 month old baby boy. I started chemotherapy on my first birthday. By the time I was three, the tumor had doubled in size, it started to grow into my aorta, it was crushing my spine, into my heart. Uh, into my liver and my kidneys. Uh, They said I needed to go into surgery. I went into surgery. Six hours later, the doctor said they didn't get it all. Um, My family came into my room basically to say goodbye. Then the next day, there was an American doctor. He was trialing an experimental drug on 25 patients around the world. They had 24 candidates. They asked whether I wanted to be number 25. Obviously, my family said yes. I started that drug, and sadly, within one month, 20 out of 25 of us had died from that drug. The after effects burn us from head to toe. We were covered in blisters. They would wrap us up in bandages trying to prevent our brains from frying. They'd lie us in baths full of ice. Um, unfortunately, 24 of them uh, passed away. And when I was finally allowed to go home, the doctor said I would never go to school. I would never play sport. I'd be a housebound baby. And if I reach my teenage years, it'll be a miracle. And as you'll hear throughout today, uh, I'm obviously still here and I'm not a teenager anymore. I went to school. I graduated high school. I went to college in America. I played baseball, represented um, Australia. Um, But obviously there's been a lot of hurdles along the way. I had my first heart attack when I was 12. Again, they told me I'd never play sport again. Two years later, I flew to America to represent Australia and play baseball over there and then moved over there two years later. And then I had another one when I was 18. And then nine years ago, I got bacterial meningitis. I got fluid on the brain. And then I'm sure we'll delve into what happened in 2016 where they found four more tumours in my throat. They told me I wouldn't make Christmas and then another challenge last year. But there's been a lot of ongoing challenges. There's been a lot of people telling me what I can't do And I've just made the choice to not show them wrong or prove them wrong, but more importantly, to prove myself right. And I think there's a very distinct difference between the two. If you spend your life trying to prove other people wrong, then you'll never get the sense of gratitude. You'll just get the sense of making someone feel bad when you're striving every day to, to, to prove yourself right and serve your goals and your visions and, and your desires and your passion, then I think that's when you actually bring true joy to yourself. So for me to actually be able to get to a point in my life where I could have that optimism and that resilience and that uh, courageous mindset that you ask and speak of, mm-hmm. I've realised that for me and for many people that I coach around the world, there are only three main steps If we get to a point where we are in a victim mentality and we think that our life's not fair, I talk about the three-step process, which is moving, sharing, and helping. The first thing we must do is we must move. And it doesn't mean you need to go to the gym. You just need to get active. You need to do something. You've got to get out of the pity party. I promise you, when I was diagnosed in 2016 and I thought the life was all over, I ran, I got home, I got into my house, I had a shower, I vomited in the shower, I jumped into bed, and this was at 10.30 in the morning. I was broken. I was a lost man thinking that my life was over. And then I realized I needed to do the three steps. So the first step, move. I went for a walk along the beach, went for a swim. I ran into a mate. I started to have a chat with him. The second step is sharing. It's not a sign of weakness, but in my opinion, and I'm sure you would agree, it's a sign of strength when we can get it off our chest and Mm. share it with a friend or a colleague or a counselor or whatever it might be. And then the last step for me, which I think is probably one of the most important ones, is we need to help. We need to help those people that are less fortunate than what we are. And I think that when we serve and make a difference in somebody else's life who can never return the favor, I think that that's when we start to get this really courageous, determined outlook on life, having a passion not to take from the world, but rather to give back to it.
1: Hi there guys. So a quick one, just to say we have launched a studio line. You can now interact live with our guests either online and or using your mobile phone. The number for the studio line is plus The number again is 799 Add that to your phone guys now and we'll be happy to take your questions live on the Mapround show. Uh, got some questions coming in from social media, guys. Uh, I'm just going to put the studio line up on the screen here. So, if you want to use WhatsApp or send an SMS, please do so. Uh, Michael, this question's from Simone. She says, um, "You've survived so much, uh, but what would you say has been your greatest achievement?" <laughs>
0: Wow, um, it's funny because my sister's name Simone. So, hi <laughs> cool. Simone, wherever you are, I guarantee you it's not my sister because she doesn't get online.
1: <laughs> yeah, that my was greatest setup. <laughs> achievement.
0: I think if I if I reflect back on my life very very quickly, you know i I've been lucky enough to represent my country um, and play baseball in America. I uh, I was lucky enough to have a very, very uh, successful corporate career in the finance world. Um, by the time I was 23, I had 600 staff, had 120 banks around Australia and New Zealand. I gave all that away to uh, because of my health. Um, I had bacterial meningitis. So I got fluid on the brain and had Bell's palsy. So I, I really was at a very low point in my life, probably, and maybe we can come back to this, but it was without a doubt the darkest place I'd been in in my life, and there was some really challenging and tough decisions that I made back in those days in fact it was a point in that time where I decided to quit on life I just I just had enough and that's when I transitioned out to have a determination and and have a goal to make a global impact and and as I'm sure we'll talk about today but I was I was uh, very determined to open a school so I opened a school in Haiti uh, 2010 an earthquake hit Haiti killed 316,000 people left two and a half million people homeless And we were told that we would never be able to have kids. So on the way back from rebuilding the school, I walked past this little village and I found all these young kids that were homeless. They had no mum, no dad. That was a terrible little orphanage. And um, that was when my life changed forever. You know, I met this one little boy and I remember so clearly he said to me, uh, well, I said to him, what's the best part about living here in the orphanage? And he said to me, he was about nine or ten, he said, oh, the best part is I get a bowl of rice every second day. Mm -hmm. He said, when I lived on the streets for four months, all I would get would be food out of garbage bins. And I said, well, if that's the best part, what's the worst part? He said the worst part is overnight time because over nighttime, um, that's when the earthquake hit, killed my mum, dad, and both my brothers. And where I sleep, I have a little tarp over my bed and when it rains a night time, I get soaking wet because it leaks. He said, but it doesn't really matter whether it rains or not. I still get soaking wet because I share a bed with two little boys and both of them still pee their pants. And I, so often we complain about our first world problems and it's so easy to do so and it's so easy to get caught in that trap. And I think the power of perspective is such an incredible, incredible thing and I never realized in my life that my world was going to change forever. You know, I came back to Australia. I raised a whole heap of money. I went back. I rebuilt the orphanage from the ground up. We've got 40 kids now that we look after, uh, 365 days a year. Um, All the profits from my book go to my orphanage to be able to fund it and take care of the kids. Uh, They all get three meals a day. They all have a roof over their head. They all go to school. And that little boy that um, I found who lost his mum and dad and both his brothers and was sharing a bed with two boys at Peter their pants still. Fast forward now to 2020, he graduated high school, he got a full-ride scholarship to Brazil to study engineering. And now he's in his uh, just finished his second year of engineering <clears throat> and he's fallen into the golden keys category, which means that he is in the top ten percent of university students from around the world. So this kid is one of the smartest kids on the planet. And if you think if there's one person in the world that had an excuse to be a victim and think that his life's not fair, then it was this kid. Mm. Yet he used the pain of the past. He used the triumph, the, the challenges to triumph, and now he's achieved some amazing things. So that that was definitely a highlight. Uh, 2016, I got a chance to put a pink ribbon on a new door to a new home for my mum. To be able to give back to her was, was without a doubt one of the greatest days of my life. Um, but mm. without a doubt. The greatest accomplishment and the greatest achievement in my world um, happened in 2017. Um, after being told all my life that we would never be able to have kids, uh, we announced to the world that we were due to have a baby uh, at the end of February 2018. Um, on the 8th of December, my wife was 29 weeks pregnant and she had a lot of back pain. We got taken to coffs harbour hospital my local hospital uh, then we were told that she was two centimeters dilated we were airlifted to sydney hospital and um we were well she was pumped for every drug you can imagine and we just did everything we could to try and keep our baby inside but four days later on the 12th of december uh, we had a beautiful little baby boy named lachlan james um he was very very unwell he um he was born only weighing two pound and um, they told us that his future didn't look real bright. Um, but every every day seemed to get stronger and stronger and um, after four weeks we were given the amazing news that they were going to transfer us back to our local hospital. And we got back to Koff's hospital and we finally got to go home. Obviously without him he had to stay in hospital for another month or so. Uh, But we came home, we had a huge party here at the house and then everyone left and we were lying in bed just knowing that he was so close to being home. And then we received a call, I think it was about 11 o'clock at night and it was the doctor and he told us to come straight in. And my wife went in to be with our little boy and I went into the room with the doctor and um, he told us that he believed that our boy had contracted an illness called sepsis, a um, blood disease. They told us that we had maybe four days with him and we were being airlifted back to Sydney. So we got on the plane and we flew back. And I remember just praying out aloud on the plane, just saying, hey, you can take my house, take my car, take everything that I've ever built, anything that I own, but um, please don't take my little boy. And... uh, Four days later, we were in hospital in Sydney and he was still breathing and we finally got to take him out of the little machine that he was in and he smiled for the very first time. And um, I think that was the day that I really believed that everything was going to be okay. And now he's two and a half years of age. He's just the most beautiful little soul. And uh, he um, it's like another little human running around on the planet with my heart in his body. And I am just, you know, he, excuse my language, but he shits more than we could imagine. (laughs) He he eats more than we could imagine, but we love him. We love him more than we could ever imagine. And I am just truly grateful for that gift from God. And I'm so blessed. And without a doubt, that is my greatest achievement um, in my life to date, for sure.
1: Well, I'm gonna very
0: long answer to your very short question, but no. thank you very much for the question, Sam.
1: No, what a what a great um what a great story. Round of applause all around there. Jeez. I've got the WhatsApp line here is going nuts. People are like getting super emotional and crying and stuff. So it's not even uh eight thirty in the morning. <laughs> but uh, but what a remarkable story. It seems to me that, you know, somewhere in the Crossland DNA there is this um this never say die attitude or capability of some kind. Um, I wanted to just come back to something that you said. You said that you'd kind of, you reached a point where you decided that you were going to quit on your life. Um, and, you know, many of us get to these, like as, you, as an example, the story that you just told us, it's like, I know you would never quit on a kid and I've got kids myself, I would never do that. But, um, but certainly things happen that we don't expect to happen. They're usually beyond our control, yet we're the ones that suffer the consequences. Um, and so we, we, you know, anxiety, depression, all these things are real killers. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, in your experience, when you were in the depths of despair, so to speak, where did you find the spark? Or where did the spark come from to pull yourself out of that sort of yeah. suffering?
0: Yeah, I think I think the analogy that I like to use is that I felt as though I was in a well, you know, like a well filled, filled with water mm. and I was paddling just to try and keep my head above water and that's how I felt I was just staying alive by dog paddling and trying to keep my head up and I think that many of us have been there. We've walked in those shoes. We felt that pain. But what was happening is there was like all these people around the top of the well. And they were just yelling at me saying, hey, it's easy. Just grab the ladder and climb out. But but no one's walked in my shoes. No one's walked in your shoes. No one's experienced your pain, nor have they experienced mine. And I got to the point where I just said, you know what, enough's enough. And I felt as though I had sunk to the bottom of the well. But what I realized when I got to the bottom of the well is that I could still breathe because the water was only this deep. Hmm. And when I was at the darkest point in my life and I could still breathe, and I think, whilst ever we can breathe we can get purpose we can get clarity we can identify what truly is important in our life and that's when i really started to discover what was important and what i needed to master and the two things that i needed to master was i needed to master what success was and i needed to master the gift of giving and success now uh, as you i'm sure have heard me say before Success is not about how big my house is. Success is about how big my heart is. Success is about getting out of bed every single day and knowing in my heart that I can make a difference in somebody else's life. That's it. I can be poor and broke and still have the ability to be successful because I just have the inner burning desire to serve somebody else, whether it's pushing someone's trolley back at the shopping center, whether it's cutting someone's lawn, whether it's, picking up a newspaper and sticking it on their front door when I go for a run of the morning, whatever it might be that gives me an opportunity to serve other people. Mm. And then the second thing I needed to master was the gift of giving because for me, for a long time, I always thought the saying was the more you give, the more you shall receive. But I understand that saying is without a doubt wrong. The saying should be the more you give, expecting nothing in return, the more you shall receive. And it's not about the materialistic possessions that you give but it's about the passion and the purpose in why you give it that truly determines the outcome of your giving. Because, like, let me use you for an example. I say, hey, whilst you're down the street, can you grab me a coffee and I'll buy you a coffee tomorrow? That's the way we always say it, right? Mm. But can you imagine if I said, hey, can you go down the street, whilst you're down the street, can you grab me a coffee and I'll buy somebody else a coffee tomorrow? All of a sudden your mindset would go, hang on a minute, I'm gonna spend my hard earn on you and you're not gonna return the favor. So I realized the saying that I live my life by now, and that's when I started to go out into the world and start my own charity and, and open the school and the orphanage and all that sort of stuff, is we must give without remembering and receive without forgetting. And I realized that when I started to serve other people, there was a flame to your question earlier, there was a flame, there was a spark there was that inner desire and energy that I'd never experienced before. And it was because I was doing something for somebody else who could never, ever return the favor. Um,
1: that's just such an awesome, awesome, awesome insight. Um, thank you for that. Um, I'm going to talk to you now, Michael, about the process of goal achievement. Um, you recently commented that we should stop focusing on, well, we should stop fearing, rather, on the what ifs, and start enjoying the what is. Uh, can you can you walk us through this? And then I want to get into, you know, how you got your big breaks, working with Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, and all that. But if you could please start with, you know, that comment around, you know, fearing the what ifs, and start enjoying about the what actually is.
0: Yeah. I- Thank you for following me on social media because clearly you read that when I put it out the other day. But <laughs> I am, uh, I think that so many of us have our lives dictated by the fear of the unknown, which I think is insane because then we never truly become the best version of ourselves. And I live my life by another saying, and it is your head needs to be where your body's at. Because too often in life, we are so fearful of what might be tomorrow, we're so regretful of what could have been yesterday, we forget to focus on what is right now. You know, Google says that we look at our phones more than 500 or 600 times a day. And I think to myself, how can I possibly be a great speaker, a great leader? But more importantly, that how can I be a great husband and a great dad when I'm constantly distracted by this thing that makes me feel important? So so far away from it. So I realised I just needed to be present and focus on the things that are in my control as opposed to worrying and being fearful of the things that are out of my control. And that's why I think that, you know, 99% of the what-ifs never actually eventuate. They never occur. So we've just wasted so much energy and effort and excitement and joy being replaced with fear and uncertainty around something that probably will not even happen anyway. And even if the thing does happen, then you've just wasted all that time until it does happen, not being the best version of yourself, not living into your potential, not enjoying the life that you have been given. You know, as I said before, we, we wait until it's too late before we decide to change. You know, not only, not only do we do that with our health, but we wait until we lose someone that we love before we tell them that we love them. You know, I always challenge people. I want you to do me a favor. Anybody listening right now, I promise you, you can be successful in the next 35 seconds. Just do this. I want you to text somebody and share with them how much they mean to you. I just want you to say, hey, I care about you. I love you. Thanks for being a great friend. That's it. And I promise you, their response will be two words and a question mark. What's wrong? (laughs) And they will dead set, they will dead set think that you are dying. You've lost your job or you're drunk because we don't tell people what they mean to us until it's too late. So don't wait till it's too late. Make an impact now by simply just texting somebody, being present, showing love, showing the best version of yourself to other people.
1: All right. Um, I'm going to share a little personal story just to echo what you've said. So I had a kind of a, I didn't speak to my, my father for probably like half a decade uh, so we were quite estranged. And to, to that exact point, um, I made, I, I recognized the consequence of not making that situation change and taking the initiative on that. Uh, and I believe my dad's actually watching. Um, he's uh, been commenting on the WhatsApp line. Uh, but, um, but anyway. Hey, dad. Uh, hey, dad. Yeah, exactly. Um, you only get one of these you know most of us only get one uh but um but anyway uh so i reached out to him and and i made amends you know i took responsibility for for my role in the situation um and um you know if i hadn't done that he wouldn't be watching this program right now he wouldn't be interacting with me he wouldn't be part of my of his grandkids lives and so i always said to myself you know if i if they ever said to me well who was your grandfather what would i say you know if i hadn't fixed Uh, the situation with him Um, and I could never reconcile that I would never have a good enough answer because I knew deep down that you know it wasn't it wasn't acceptable to let that status quo remain so I made the choice to change and I think it's important that we um, he's actually messaging you can hear it going off in the back there Um, but um, but anyway I I really do want to say that as also another thing to say like you know do it now like don't wait you know, if you have thirty seconds to make a difference, do it now. Like, don't do it when you have a lunch break. Just do it now to send a message to your point. It takes seconds, and you're the one. That, you know, if you give something away, you're the one that will benefit the most. So, so I encourage all of you to do that right now, please. <laughs> Matt Brown Show Directive. Uh, cool. So, getting back into the um, goal attainment just, story. Oh, don't you want to add? To, yeah.
0: Just to echo on, just to echo on your message there, mate. And cool. ju- and I don't usually share this, but you've been super vulnerable about your dad and. You know, I, I, um, my mum and dad separated in 2008. Um, we went to mediation and I thought mum was going to get half the house and unfortunately the house was in grandfathers, grandmothers and my dad's name. So my mum got, got a half of one third of the sale price of the property. So that was not anywhere near enough to buy her a unit, let alone a house. So I was the big banker and I thought I knew all about money back in those days. So I invested all of my mum's money, and that was six weeks before the GFC hit, and I lost all of my mum's money. Um, I, I failed my mum, I failed my family, and it was because of my ego and arrogance that nearly took my mum's life, and I was so ashamed of who I'd become because I chased wealth. I, I chased materialistic possessions as opposed to chasing happiness and joy and serving other people. So that really put a knife edge between my father and I, and I think for such a long time, well, even in the world that we live in today, we are so focused on trying to identify role models that we can replicate their behaviour. We can learn from their great behaviours. But I think that we can learn just as much from those that don't demonstrate true values and, and authentic selves. And, you know, my, my dad, I've got to be honest with you, he taught me how not to be a dad. You know, I felt safe when I was having chemo because I wasn't going to get hurt there. He taught me how not to be a husband because of the pain that I saw him cause my mum. And, you know, I I remember a few years back I did a talk in Texas to a group of juvenile detention kids. There was 200 of them. They were all in there on molestation charges. They were aged between 11 and 15, and they'd all molested somebody. And what they told me about the 200 kids was about 197 of them had been molested in the past. So their justification behind their poor behavior was the way they were brought up. Hmm. And I think to myself, we we all have that choice to, to demonstrate and replicate poor behavior or learn from that poor behavior. And I think that so often we just strive to think, you know what, if he does it, then it's okay. Or if she does it, then... But maybe if we just analysed other people's behaviors and realize, you know what, that's not congruent with who I am and what I stand for. So my dad taught me some beautiful lessons on how not to behave, and I'm very grateful for that. And now, you know, we, we went five and a half, nearly six years without speaking, and then one day, I don't know how, I just, something called me to go to church. I hadn't been to church in over a decade, and the service was all about the power of forgiveness. And mm. um, it was like... The pastor was talking to me and and nobody else in the room. And I think, you know, I think so often we don't actually delve deep into coincidences that occur in life. I think the more that we actually look into those coincidences, the more joy that it actually brings to our heart. So I just want to echo what you were saying, mate. You know, forgiveness is so powerful. You only have one family. You only have one father. And it is so critical that if they're alive and if you do have that opportunity, you need to learn to forgive. And it doesn't justify their poor behaviour, but it enables you to continue to move on and continue to evolve and adapt to become a better version of yourself. So, Mm. you know, I appreciate you sharing that. And I had to echo your message too, mate
1: awesome yeah yeah i mean that same thing as well like no father is perfect right um they will like like you know it's like you're gonna mess your kids up kind (laughs) of guaranteed you know uh no one really survives that you know their parents and that kind of thing and so and they do model you and yes they do as you mentioned these these kids um who molested other kids or whatever the case was there um you know they modeled their father and they used that as the excuse but ultimately you Mm -hmm. I'm not not talking about them. I'm saying everybody has the choice to not do that. And that's what I always said. I was like, I'm not going to be like him, you know, well, I won't do that for these reasons, you know? Uh, So it really comes down to you and decisions are your ultimate power. Uh, But let's detour here, uh, Michael, if you don't mind, I want to get into your big break in speaking. So you now share the stage with some of the biggest names in the world, like Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, as I mentioned earlier, How did you get your big break? I've got a lot of speakers in my network here that do speak internationally, but I'm not sure they share the stage with brands like that. So how did you get your big break? Where did that start?
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because when I transitioned out of the corporate world and had a dream to just go out into this speaking world, people told me I was crazy. They told me I'd never be able to do it. And I remember I sent about 50 to 60 emails and I would have made three or 400 calls to different speakers bureaus from all around the world, thinking to myself, if I could sign with a bureau, then I'll make it or I've made it. And in between those calls and emails, I was knocking on doors. I was speaking at schools. I was speaking at Chamber of Commerce events, Rotary clubs, Lions clubs, everywhere I could to just finally get through and and try and make a living out of uh out of this world of speaking and it was tough I I remember out of the hundred odd people that I finally spoke to in the uh agency world 99 of them said go away we're not interested and one guy gave me a shot and uh, I remember I was so excited I nailed the interview I nailed my pitch I was so stoked and I got off the phone I hugged my wife I said you know what?" Things are looking up. You know, this is going to be a game changer for us. This is going to be incredible. And he said, I'll call you tomorrow. I was like, perfect. So all day I was waiting for that phone call. And then I got an email like 10 past five. And he said, uh, hey, thanks so much for your pitch yesterday. You're just not marketable. So I'm sorry. I think you should probably go back into the banking world. I wish you all the very best. And I was like, ugh, it killed me. You know, I was shattered. And I there was a little element of me going, you know what, maybe I should just go and play it safe and it was the greatest decision of my life to back myself you know so often we strive to identify somebody that believes in us but i think that if the person that looks back at us every morning we brush our teeth if that person believes in us then we can truly achieve some remarkable things so i was doing every event that i possibly could i was speaking for free i was getting two hundred dollars here and five hundred dollars there and i was barely making ends meet and um i just kept I kept doing what I could do and I I aligned myself with a whole heap of charities and I did a lot of work with Camp Quality and one day I was doing a gig for Camp Quality and the right person in the room was there at the right time and he was very touched by my story and this was probably about four or five years into my speaking so it wasn't it wasn't early days you know I was really battling and um, he said hey I I sponsor uh, this big event called the HR Forum it's filled with like 600 HR directors of big companies i would love for you to speak at it and they said uh, he, i said great I, i'd love to um and he he said uh all right let's make it happen anyway long story short the uh, the event that i was meant to speak at the lady who was running the event she's like no nope, never heard of him doesn't have a big enough name so we're not going to have him speak here and they said um well if you want my sponsorship money you're going to have him speak here so <laughs> fortunately they took his money and i got to speak there uh, it was the first standing ovation they had in 25 years. That really opened up the doors. Um, I think one of the biggest gigs that I've been able to do was actually a free event in America in 2016, 2017. Um, it was uh, I shared the stage with the Dalai Lama, which is amazing, and got a chance to share my story. Anyway, that video got picked up by Goldcast last year. They edited it up, shared it. Now it's up to 60 million views and... Uh, that really opened up the doors. I, I got a chance to do a, a lot of work on TV here, Channel 9, Channel 7. Uh, I got to do some broadcasting on Fox. And I think that then I was on MTV show, Ridiculousness, which was great, and then some weird fishing show, which was incredible because I'm not a fisherman. But I think that it all stemmed back to, A, believing in myself, B, not doing it to earn money but to serve other people, mm-hmm. and B, just, uh, C, just just saying yes to every opportunity, just you know, not not allowing your ego to get in the road. And I realized that when I was knocking on all those doors and I was trying to get signed, I uh, I wasn't ready. And all I was doing is crafting my skill, refining my message. And then all of a sudden, when things went crazy, that guy that said, you don't have a marketable story, he messaged me and said, hey, I think you're ready to get signed now. And half of me wanted to say, go get yeah, exactly. But, uh, exactly. But the smart part of me says, no problem. And I signed the dotted line and the rest is history. Now, last year, 180 flights, spoke in 22 countries around the world, more than 150,000 people in audiences. I was lucky enough to speak at a sellout crowd at the MGM Grand last year um, in their auditorium, their big stadium. It was, just, it just, I pinch myself sometimes because I'm no celebrity, I'm no TV star, I'm no professional athlete. <clears throat> I'm just an ordinary old Australian that's faced my fair share of adversities, and now I'm very, very blessed to, to travel the world and share it with people.
1: Well, I'll just say though michael you you know you're you're the celebrity in your own life, um you know, and you yeah I mean you can say that you're not remarkable and whatever the case is, but you've put yourself as the celebrity, you've created the idea of you being the celebrity in your own life, and I don't think many of us do that enough, you know what I'm saying there's always an excuse not mm. to take you know to shine a light on ourselves and to you know to be fully authentic and and kind of ruthlessly honest about ourselves about what we can do. Uh, you know, in terms of reaching for our dreams, and ultimately the you know, in the process of kind of achieving the things that we want to achieve. Um, and so, uh, I thought this question from Liam's a good one. He says, um, "Daily habits and routines are critical. Can you walk us through what a typical day looks like in the life of Michael Crossland?"
0: For sure, I'd love to. But just to reflect back very quickly on um, you know your your reflection of that last conversation we had you know it's amazing people say to me oh you're a real overnight success Mm. you know you've come out of nowhere and now you you know you're sharing the stage with the biggest names in the world Uh, and i reflect back on a great story about bamboo there's a type of bamboo in the world that you plant and you need to water it every single day for five years before it breaks the soil and if you water it for four years 360 days and you forget to water it for three or four days, that's it. Seed dies all over. We start again back to five years ago. And but then when it punctures the soil, it breaks through, it grows ninety feet in six weeks. They say it's the fastest growing bamboo in the world. Mm. But it has in my opinion, it hasn't taken five, it hasn't taken six weeks to grow ninety feet, it's taken five years and six weeks to grow ninety feet. And I think that's a really important definition for all of us you know, we need to constantly invest in ourselves. We need to constantly evolve. We need to constantly adapt. We need to constantly love ourselves and nurture ourselves and, and understand our daily routines and habits so that we can continually grow and grow and grow until all of a sudden the opportunity happens where we can poke our head up out of the soil and then grow to exponential heights. So mm. I think that that's a really important message back to what we're referring to. But my uh, my daily habit. I, I have a very structured routine. Um, I talk about it a lot in my online training program, my audio books. It's um, activation, meditation, and appreciation. They're my three things, activation, meditation, appreciation. So activation for me looks like I get up in the morning. I'm not a big guy. If I if I went side on, I look like a cardboard cutout. <laughs> there's, there's not much of me. But um, I, I like to go for a run. I've only got one lung, so I need to be very careful. Uh, the doctors told me I should never run, so I run every morning just to uh just to keep myself going so i get about five k's of a morning i do some hill sprints out the front and then that's my activation then the second thing i do as soon as i walk inside is uh i have uh meditation and it's funny because i thought for a long time meditation was for those that burnt incense that had really long beards that wore cotton and no shoes you know that's that's who i thought meditated but Working with some pro athletes in America that are earning $40 million bucks a year, some of the top CEOs that I've been fortunate enough to work alongside, uh, that's one thing they all have in common. They all meditate. They all understand the power of meditation. And they realize that it is the opportunity for our brains and our bodies to be at peace mm. um, and almost recharge. So that, that for me is the second step. And then the third step for me is around appreciation. And that's my gratitude journal. So I make sure that I document down every day the three things that I'm truly grateful for. It helps, you know, we spoke about it earlier, the power of the subconscious mind. The more that we talk to it as opposed to listen to it, the more powerful it becomes. So I really want to constantly reinforce positivity and gratitude into my mind so that when negative things pop up, when a bit of fear or anxiety kicks in, I can overcome it very quickly with the optimism and the appreciation and the gratitude for the things that I reflect on. So that's my morning routine and then of an evening I make sure that you know my my TV and my phone 1 hour before I go to bed I'm nowhere near them. It gives me an opportunity to slow down, have a conversation with my wife, you know be truly present, not distracted. Uh, I make sure that I eat at least 2 hours before bed so I give my body an opportunity to digest my food. Uh, and then the three things before I go to sleep, I think about the three things that I'm grateful for that happened that day. And that's uh, that's a really nice way to let your mind be at peace, but also um, go off into a great deep sleep with nothing but joy and appreciation at the center of of your mind. So that's pretty much what I do every day.
1: I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) What's
0: funny though, Matt, what's, what's funny is I don't do that routine to perform at my optimal level. I do that routine so I can stay alive. And there's a very big difference between the two. A lot of people get slack and lazy and go, nah, I couldn't be bothered today and I'll sleep in. I, I don't have that choice because, mm. you know, I constantly get told that I've got an end date. You know, out of the four tumours that were in my throat in 2016, they could only remove three of them. There's one still in there wrapped around my vocal cord, um, you know, there's going to be a time when it needs to come out. The chances of me surviving the surgery is not great. The chances of me ever speaking afterwards is next to none. So I need to make sure that every day I am blessed to wake up. Every day I have an opportunity to hold my beautiful boy. Every night I get to put him to bed. You know, that that makes you determined to get up and push through the pain because I realise that the only way you can grow as a human being is through discomfort. So we must get uncomfortable every single day. And if it's at 5 o'clock in the morning when it's pouring down rain and freezing cold and you want to roll over and snuggle into bed and you go, no, I want to live another day, I want to actually live, I don't want to exist, I want to serve more people, I want to have a global impact, I want to make my son proud of who I am, all of a sudden the little voices in your head telling you what not to do get overtaken by the voice that you actually put in its head by telling you what you should do
1: hmm I know, right? Jeez, that's why, you know, that's why I'm just really excited to get you on the show because that's the perspective that people lack. You know, like I, we all know people who just accept like mediocre, you know, um, and you know that they have it in them to, to become more, to make a difference to the world, to make an impact on the global stage, and yet they choose not to. It's like a weird thing and you want to take them by the scruff of their collar and shake them and go, do you know, <laughs> you know, that this is yeah. what you're capable of? Why aren't you doing more? Um, and I think it's because, you know, we, we get so self-absorbed sometimes. We just get stuck in the monotony of life and the, the pressures of society and, uh, and those who are closest to us, you know, um, and we never really break through or uh, well, many of us don't. Um, And so this is the detour now to my next question, which is about faith. Um, On your blog, you mentioned that you were on a flight uh, and it was a very turbulent flight. It was apparently so bad that the pilots had said it was one of the worst flights she had flown or he had flown in over 20 years. And, you know, sick bags were full, etc. And it got you thinking about faith. and, And now I'm thinking about faith. Uh, and that is um, my question: Is what is the role of faith in your life today?
0: Yeah, and it's a really great question because it allows us to think wider than what we perceive faith being. Because mm. straight away, when someone talks about faith, I think straight away they think, "All right, are you a Christian? Are you a Catholic? Are you Buddhist? What like what faith are you?" And that's not the faith that I was referring to in that blog, Um, I I do have faith. Obviously, I have a great faith, a great relationship with God, and I'm very blessed to have that because I think for a long time I I felt as though I was walking alone and those footsteps in sand were mine. I was carrying the whole burden, but I realised that in those times I was actually being carried. But the faith that I referred to in the blog is, you know, so often in the world that we live in, we have faith in the pilot landing the plane. We have faith in the car getting us to the hotel. We have faith in the chef ensuring that they cook the food right so we don't die of food poisoning. We have so much faith in so many other people, yet we just don't have faith within ourselves. We don't have belief within ourselves. And I think that when we start to flip the script and start to have faith in ourselves and we start to believe in ourselves, and we back ourselves, and we think that the worst thing that could possibly happen by having faith in ourselves and diving into that new chapter or that new challenge in our life, the worst thing that could happen is we learn from it, and if we learn from it, then we just become a better version of ourselves, then all of a sudden different doors open up that we never thought would ever open, and I think that that's the faith that I refer to. You know, I, I really believe that we need to just believe in ourselves Don't look around trying to have everybody else think, you know what, you can do it. So now all of a sudden I believe in myself and I have faith in myself because everybody else is telling me I can do it. Everybody told me I couldn't do it. The doctor told me I was never going to survive. The doctors told me I'd never play sport. All my coaches said I was never strong enough to play for Australia. The corporate world said I didn't have the education and and the knowledge to be able to climb the corporate ladder. 600 staff when I was 23. Every agent in Australia and America told me I didn't have a story to tell. I wasn't marketable. When I tried to start my own charity, they said, you're nuts. You're never going to be able to do it. It's too hard. It's so hard. Now I've got 270 kids at a school and 40 kids at an orphanage that rely on me every single day to ensure that I can continue to serve and provide for them. I was told I'd never be able to have kids. And now I have the most beautiful little thing in the world that I just cherish more than anything in the world. And I think that it all came back to me having faith faith in God and faith within myself and belief within myself that we can achieve remarkable things when we have faith within ourselves.
1: Cool. May- amazing stuff, Michael. Yeah, we totally need more faith. Um, so all of you out there, start having more faith. Um, let's let's get into the wrap up here. Just two quick questions. Could you just j- double down on what you're doing in Haiti? What work are you doing down there? Yeah,
0: so we are out of the 40 kids. The school's going great guns. Out of the 40 kids in my orphanage, um, we actually found out that 16 of them have children that are still alive. Uh, sorry, have parents that are still alive. Wow. So now we're um, nine years, 10 years after the earthquake, we've actually found their parents, which is unbelievable. So now we're trying to give the kids back. But because all the parents are unemployed, the, the, uh, there's 8 million, 8 million people on an island of 10 million people that are unemployed. So you can imagine how tough it is to, to make anything happen over there. So we've started our own um, training and development centre over there. We've got four different pillars, construction, English-speaking, jewellery-making and clothing manufacturing, and we're helping these parents start their own micro-businesses so they can be self-sustainable to then be able to take care of their kids. So out of the 16 parents, we've had four of the parents be able to take their kids back. Uh, we do a, uh, We do a care package every week to provide food and, and, you know, sanitization and all those sort of things that we need to do. We also send a counselor in every two weeks just to make sure that everybody's going sweet. So that's um that's a really big project that we've got on right now and we're just really excited. My goal is one day to have no kids in that orphanage. I, I really understand the power and the importance of having a parent, a role model, somebody that can love and nurture them and I wish I could bring them all back here because I mm. just love every one
1: of them. I know, right? Jeez. um cool so uh, i'm going to ask you the last question after the segment so this is the we give away some free stuff so this is gifts from the map Brown show uh michael you have an audio book i believe what's that I about? do, yeah
0: i have an audio book called the power of the mind um it's uh talks about the above and below the line victim navigator, whatever it is that um can really knock us down. And I, I um I delve really deeply into that. It's about a 45 minute one. Uh it's usually 20 bucks, but we're gonna give it to you guys for free. So awesome. if you want it, um shoot me an email, Michael at Michaelcrossland.com. Uh or I think you can actually jump on the website um and grab it with the I think there's a code elders maybe e-l-d-e-r-s if you type that in the promotional code mm-hmm. you can get it for free otherwise just shoot me an email and uh i will um i'll get my guys to send it out to you and you can take a listen and i'm sure it'll have a positive impact on you
1: cool otherwise guys you can always jump on the studio line uh and just drop a whatsapp uh, first one to respond or first email that i get hello at mattbrownshow.com uh and then we'll forward the details on to michael as well michael Uh, Let's wrap this up. Um, Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
0: I think what gets me out of bed in the morning is finally I've identified my why. And I think that when we identify our why, we can truly do some amazing things in this world. And you know, my why constantly evolves, constantly changes. And uh, my why is to serve my son. My why is to serve my wife and my family. My why is to make sure that I can be the dad that my dad never was. I want to be that dad that was there uh, at his soccer practice. I want to be there cooking the barbecue for his school. I want to be I want to be that guy, and um, you know that is certainly my why. And my other why is obviously I, I just want to get out of bed every single day and make a positive impact on the world. I don't want to leave a legacy. I want to live into my legacy, and I want to make sure that I leave the world a better place than what I found it. So, that's what keeps me going every single day when many people in this world tell me to stay down. I love the analogy, someone tried to bury me once, but I didn't realize I was a seed.
1: <laughs> That's a very good analogy. Cool. I'm going to steal that one. Okay, I'm stealing it. Please do It's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Michael, what an inspiring uh, man, an incredible story uh yeah man just uh you know i wish you all the best in health and uh you know more success and um, yeah thank you just really what a privilege and an honor to to get you on the show and to to share your story with our audience all around the world so finally just want to say thank you to all of our uh, guys who joined the live stream and have been commenting on the whatsapp line thank you so much your support for the show means the world to me um and um yeah we got another show later today so otherwise catch you again soon right here on the Map brown show thanks michael cheers now thanks for listening to the matt brown show guys don't forget you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates news and a show history so if you've been catching this on the podcast please head on over to our youtube channel and pound that subscribe button it would be great to catch the video version there and if you want a free copy of my number one amazon best-selling book you're in a game for free right now today. You can grab that on mathbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Clients Haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an eleven percent share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.